It was a late fall evening. I was called to come to the emergency room at the local hospital in the parish where I was serving. It is never a good thing when you're summoned to the ER. A nurse ushered me into an examination room where a doctor and two nurses were desperately trying to revive a middle-aged man. The man's wife and her friend were there. Not recognizing either the man or the woman, I introduced myself to her and she said, Father, please give my husband last rites. She said they had, neither of them had practiced the faith for a long, long time. And I stopped her and I said, right now, none of that matters. Most priests are trained in various aspects of hospital ministry and how to do their job while ER staff are doing theirs. I have always admired emergency room staff in every hospital I've ministered in. I anointed the man and then I stood next to his wife. Sometime later, the doctor looked at me and I knew what he meant. And I said to the woman, you need to brace yourself. They're doing everything they can, but it may not be enough. Her husband was declared dead a few minutes later. That woman had been caught up in the swirling, howling winds of chaos. Such moments often hit us as if out of nowhere. It could be the sudden death of a loved one, a horrible accident, or being told that we have a disease that cannot be treated. One moment we're going about the normal routines of daily life and pretty much taking it all for granted. And suddenly, death makes its abrupt presence, mocking our prayers, our protests, our pleading, and our tears. Our world changes in an instant. And more often than not, we find ourselves helpless. We feel numb. Everything becomes surreal. We have just been absorbed into unrelenting chaos. Now, Jesus knows how vulnerable we are to such events. Last weekend, we saw how Jesus and his disciples were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee when suddenly a violent squall came up and waves were breaking over the boat. And for all those who remember from last weekend's gospel, and if you remember this, you don't need to put anything in the collection plate, what was Jesus doing when the storm hit? I take it back about the collection plate. Yeah, Jesus slept through it all until he was awakened by his panic-stricken disciples, by the sheer power of his words, quiet, be still. The storm suddenly died down. Hebrew uses several words interchangeably for sea, water, ocean. In the Hebrew mindset, the sea was a force of chaos, 
hostile to God and to man. God, by the sheer power of his word, as we read in the Hebrew Bible, stilled the waters, put boundaries on the waters, on the deep, on chaos, and made life even come from chaos. Just as the Father's word has ultimate control over chaos, so too does the Son's word. And we just heard how Jesus and the others crossed the sea again, this time without incident, but they would not escape the chaos we fallen creatures are prey to. A synagogue official named Jairus came to Jesus and publicly fell at his feet. A sign of total submission to the will of the other. Why did Jairus do this? His daughter was dying. He was in chaos, desperate for help. He begged Jesus to come to his home and lay his hands on his daughter that she may get well and live. Jairus clung to the hope that this Jesus could, would do something. As they made their way to Jairus' house, there was a woman trapped in her own chaos. She suffered from internal bleeding for 12 years. Her medical treatments reduced her to another kind of chaos. Poverty. She did the unthinkable, believing that she only had to touch Jesus' clothing to be healed, she boldly did so. But in doing so, she unleashed a whole new strain of chaos. According to the law, her bleeding made her ritually unclean, and anyone and anything she touched except for stone became unclean. Jesus knew as God Something happened, that power had gone out from him. The woman, healed from the chaos of her disease, now found herself in the chaos of being discovered and possibly punished for touching Jesus. She confessed her action, and her chaos was calmed by divine compassion. Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. Telling us that no human condition, no state of chaos we might be in can make Jesus unclean. Jairus, however, had another layer of chaos imposed on him, or so he thought. He was bringing an unclean man into his home what kind of chaos that would create as a leader of his synagogue. And then came the most devastating chaos. People from the synagogue told Jairus that his daughter had died. There was nothing else to be done. From their perspective, Jesus had just been rendered useless. He who by the power of his word calmed the chaos of the sea, who calmed the chaos of a suffering woman, 
simply said to an overwhelmed Jairus, do not be afraid, just have faith. Now, we don't know what Jairus' reaction to that was, and it really doesn't matter, because the point is, what would your reaction, my reaction be, if death claimed one of our loved ones and we were caught up in that swirl of chaos? When they arrived at Jairus' house, Jesus allowed only Peter, James, and John to accompany him. These three would later be chosen to witness the transfiguration, the manifestation of Jesus' divine nature. In the house, Jesus was met with the chaos of the rituals of death, common at that time, weeping, wailing loudly, perhaps ripping garments and in extreme cases, scratching their faces. Jesus defied the mourners. The child is not dead but asleep. Chaos does not like being challenged. It bitterly resists loosening its stranglehold over us. Offended, the mourners ridiculed him who, one in being with the Father, alone knows what life and death really are and the eternal destiny his Father calls every human being to. Kicking the mourners out, Jesus permitted only the child's parents and the disciples to remain in the room. And the text tells us he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha, ka'um which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Jesus had commanded the sea, and it obeyed, soothed with divine compassion the chaos of a woman's fear. And now, even death obeyed his word and released that child. The child rose, walked around, and Jesus ordered that she should be given something to eat, suggesting that life was going to return to normal. But not completely. Jesus did something very odd. He commanded the parents and his disciples to be silent. How could he do such a thing? Everyone in the community knew the child died. Now they're going to see her up and running around? Would you or I be able to be silent? Why Jesus' insistence on silence? Well, scripture scholars suggest it was Jesus' way of preventing his messianic identity being revealed before the proper time, perhaps. I would like to suggest that Jesus knew silence is the best response to the mystery of divine compassion manifesting itself. Jesus knew the parents had been through hell and back. He knew Peter, James, and John would be sorely tested by the scandal of the cross. Jesus knows we are going to be tested by all the chaos of our fallen nature struggling to live in a fallen world. He wanted the parents, he wanted his disciples, he wants us, his church, to be anchored in awe 
wonder, amazement, and above all, gratitude that he alone has the last word over us. A word that always accomplishes what he sends it out to do. And that word is life. And silence is the best condition for awe, wonder, amazement, and especially gratitude to take root, whatever chaos swirls around us.